Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost. I'm your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 48. Stephen. Yes, dear. We're going to London. London, baby, yeah. Who sings that song? I don't know what song you're singing. London's calling. I don't know the rest of the words. Some bad. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah, you should probably cut that out. <laughs> So today we are going to cover the Tower of London, but we're actually going to cover this in probably a part two or more episodes uh, because I want to cover individual ghosts and give them the proper length of time to tell their actual story. Crack on? Crack on. Although I've been to London more times than I can count, I've never been to the Tower of London. But the place has so many ghosts that one, of course, I want to go, and two, we're going to have to make this into a two-part or more like a 13-part episode to cover them all. So today we're going to discuss Anne Boleyn and how she is not who I thought she was. Anne Boleyn is known today to many as nothing more than the home-wrecking mistress that broke up a marriage. I mean, the fact that she was the second of Henry VIII's six wives, mother of Elizabeth I, and the first queen beheaded for false charges of treason and other bizarre charges gets mentioned too. But really, there's a very different side to Anne Boleyn that I never knew. On May 19, 1536, Anne would take her place in front of a French swordsman who had the duty of beheading her. But let's start from the beginning because there's no short way of telling the story. Anne Boleyn was born well, there's confusion over when she was born, but it was either 1501 or 1507, at Blinkling Hall in Norfolk. Though many think Anne was just a lady in waiting for Catherine of Aragon, and her affair with Henry started immediately, she didn't come from the bottom of the barrel, and the affair is a little bit more complicated than that. Anne's great, possibly great-great-grandfather, may have come from a family who had nothing but each other, but he was sent to London to make a name for himself. And he did. Lord Mayor of London in 1457. Anne was very well educated in the Netherlands and France while being a maid of honour to Queen Claude of France along with her sister. Mary, Anne's sister, returned from French court and she soon joined the English royal court as one of Queen Catherine's maids of honour and somewhere along the line became a mistress to Henry in 1525. Yes, Mary and Anne were both. We'll come back to that. Anne returned to England in early 1522 to marry her Irish cousin James Butler, but the marriage plans were broken off. To be fair, it wasn't for love or anything worthy. It was to settle a dispute over land and titles. Unfortunately, back then, young ladies were used as pawns on a chessboard with fathers, brothers and uncles playing for a bit of land. Anne achieved considerable popularity at English court. She was articulate and had great fashion sense, among other desirable attributes, which made her a catch to the gentlemen at court. Anne was then courted by Henry Percy, son of the Earl of Northumberland, but when Percy's father refused to support their engagement, their romance ended. Some have suggested that Henry VIII had something to do with that, as Anne had already caught his eye. Henry, a man who hated to write and would leave all his written correspondence to his secretaries, wrote passionate love letters to Anne from 1526 to 1527, 
some of which survived and are full of emotional declarations of love and desire for her. Anne was sent away from court after her engagement was called off to spend some time in her family home. It was thought that this was also to evade Henry's passion and avoid turning down a king who held power over the livelihood and the lives of the entire court. Being in service to Catherine, Anne saw how Henry treated his many mistresses, including her sister. He would grow tired and cold easily, and though being Henry's mistress would at the time make you happy and you would want for nothing, after, when he tired of you, your prospects for marriage with another would be gone out the window. On her return to court, she again entered the service of Catherine of Aragon. Needless to say, when the king started his relentless pursuit, she refused point-blank to sleep with him, as she would only ever give her virginity to her husband, and she would not be anyone's mistress. Now, whether she came to love him or saw an opportunity to rise well above her station is unknown, but they did begin a courtship. But given the contraception at the time was available, but extremely unreliable, there is no evidence that the two slept together before 1532 at the earliest. These were times of titles and lands and deeds that could only rightfully be kept on the condition you had a male heir. Catherine was beyond birthing age, their words, not mine, and Henry was desperate for a male heir. So even before he set sights on Anne, he set about getting his marriage with Catherine annulled. Meeting Anne only sped up the process. But it wasn't quick. In fact, it took years. However, because he couldn't get what he wanted through the usual means, he had to look for another way. Just to briefly and crudely explain, because I cannot be the only one who didn't know the difference. The difference between a divorce and an annulment is that a divorce ends a legally valid marriage, while an annulment formally declares a marriage to have been legally invalid. So being drunk, think Ross and Rachel from Friends, or coerced, a shotgun wedding, incest or bigamy, among many other reasons. The reasons he gave for the annulment were madness. In short, he married his brother's wife after his brother died, which some said was borderline incest because of a passage in the Bible. But he went through the efforts of getting a pardon because in the five months that Arthur and Catherine were married, they were unable to consummate the marriage due to Arthur's ill health. But now he wanted to take it all back and say that his marriage to Catherine should never have been allowed and that he thought the reason Catherine hadn't produced him a male heir was that God was punishing him. And then Thomas Cramer up and told the king, kings anointed by God answer only to God, and therefore Henry should not have to pursue his divorce through legal means. Henry's actions to formally break with the Roman Catholic Church was one of the most radical attempts at power ever made by a European monarch. By 1532, Henry had what he wanted. He was the supreme head of the Church of England made Thomas Cramer Archbishop of Canterbury, and he was able to have Henry's marriage to Catherine annulled, bastardising his daughter Mary in the process. Henry and Anne married in a secret ceremony on the 25th of January, 1533. He had moved heaven and earth to be with Anne. Some even suggest she was already pregnant, as she had Elizabeth only seven months later on the 7th of September, 1533. 
The king wanted Anne crowned queen as soon as possible. The festivities began in May 1533 and lasted five days. In 1534, the Act of Supremacy made Henry VIII head of the English Church. Following that was the Act of Succession. They said that Anne was his lawful queen, and any child they had would be the true heirs to the throne, and all English subjects were required to swear that this was the case. But for some people, this was a little too hard to swallow. However, it wasn't just a case of opinion. Those who opposed were treated as traitors. Many monks refused to swear that oath of succession, and so in April 1533, 10 of them were taken to Newgate Prison. Within fewer than three weeks, they were tried, convicted, and executed for treason. You can read what happened to them at your own risk. Despite the ever-growing pressure on Henry and Anne to produce an heir, which was worsened by these actions as they needed to be justified, you would never know they were under pressure, as for two whole years they were described as merry together. On the 7th of January 1536, Catherine of Aragon died after a short illness. In the eyes of Rome and Catholic Europe, Catherine was still the legitimate Queen of England. And I get it, I do. You fall in love with someone else, leave the person you're with and be with the one you love. But do it with a bit of grace, and do not throw a party on the day your ex-wife dies. The only thing Catherine ever did wrong was not producing an heir. Trust me, we have no say in the matter. Catherine was pregnant six times in nine years, so it was not for a lack of trying. She was exiled from court, her daughter declared a bastard, and the final act of humiliation was that she was denied a state funeral at St Paul's or Westminster Abbey. In a twist, this made the people love Catherine even more. They saw her as a martyr. 1536 should have been a great year for Henry and Anne. The king was now supreme head of the Church of England, and any son they had would be the legitimate heir to the throne. And things were looking optimistic on that front because Anne was pregnant again. But on January 24th, 1536, Henry and Anne's love took a monumental U-turn. Henry, not willing to admit he was getting on in age and not as fit as he once was, had a terrible accident while jousting. He fell from his horse and suffered a massive blow to the head, the shock of which was said to be the reason for Anne sadly miscarrying at three months long enough into her pregnancy to know she would have had a son. But it was after this accident that the king's mannerisms were said to change. He became a brutal and cruel king. The frontal lobe was responsible for our behaviours, our personalities, and makes us the people we are. But it may just exacerbate character traits that we already have. So if you're subduably a wicked king, it becomes less of a priority to hide it. Following her miscarriage and Henry's accident, it became clear that Anne had fallen out of favour with her love and gossip began to circulate that he was seeing another woman. The other woman was Jane Seymour, a lady-in-waiting for Anne. Henry had sent a note and a bag of sovereigns to Jane, perhaps as an invitation to his bedroom, but she declined, stating that she was from good parents and would only consider if there was a proposal. Sound familiar? But wait, don't jump the gun. There is actually no evidence that Henry intended to leave the Queen and take another wife. It was normal at this time for kings to have mistresses, but Jane had seen that it worked for Anne, so I'm not sure what her intentions were. 
but then gossip started up again. Rumours of Anne being unfaithful started to do the rounds, and with the king's closest friend of all people. When these rumours got back to Henry, he was shocked and immediately ordered a full investigation into the allegations. The problem was, there was no evidence that she was ever unfaithful. However, castle walls have ears. Anne and Henry's oldest friend, Henry Norris, were overheard having what nowadays would be classed as banter, but then was classed as treason. She innocently asked why he had not married, and he said that he would tarry a time, which I think means he was looking to avoid it, but what do I know? And she replied, you look for dead man's shoes. For if all came to the king for good, you would look to have me. In other words, you want to marry me when my husband's dead, don't you? Norris responded, I'd rather his head were off. Again, to you or I, this is friendly banter. But they had imagined the king's death, which under the treasonous act was illegal. Henry launched an investigation into many others who were suspected of having had relations with the queen. Among them was her brother George. What should have been a day of celebration for the king and queen at Greenwich Palace soured when a musician who'd been interrogated, likely under torture, had confessed to having sex with Anne on three occasions. Henry was humiliated. He couldn't be seen as a man who couldn't control his wife. He abruptly left Greenwich, taking Norris with him and Whatever was said on that journey back to London was enough to convince Henry that his closest friend was guilty too. Norris would end up on the chopping block and Henry would never see Anne again. She would never have a chance to defend herself to the king or even talk things through with him. But in fact, at this stage, Anne didn't even know that the investigation was underway so she couldn't have known that she needed to defend herself. Early in the morning on the 2nd of May, Anne was taken from Greenwich to the Royal Apartments at the Tower, but she had no idea why. She travelled by barge, in through a water gate at St Thomas's Tower, now known as Traitor's Gate. Sometime after arriving, Anne was read the long list of accusations of sexual crimes and treasonous acts. This is where Anne spent the night before her coronation, and now, unbeknownst to her, where she would spend the last few nights before her execution. On the 15th of May, 1536, Anne's trial was held in front of 2,000 people and she was judged by a jury of her peers, led by her own uncle. Surviving documents from the trial reveal some of the more salacious accusations made against Anne. For example, one charge says that Anne has diabolically seduced these men because of her frail and carnal appetites. And it went on and on. For the accusation against the Queen and Henry Norris, it says he has violated and carnally known the Queen. This is the picture of Anne as a sexual predator that Henry wanted to portray. It seemed to the court that she was a woman that no man, not even Henry, could control a wife with such a depraved sexual appetite. He stayed away from the trial, which is probably a good thing as the accusations made it seem more like the king lacked a sense of dominance or prowess. George, Anne's brother, was handed a piece of paper with his charges and told not to read it aloud, but he did. 
On it was the charge that he and Anne had laughed at the king's manner of dressing, his terrible poetry, and above all, that Anne had said that the king was not skilful in copulating with a woman and had neither vigour nor potency. Again, I mentioned, this is in front of 2,000 people. The jury, loyal to the king, Anne was unanimously found guilty of adultery, high treason and incest. Being given a chance to speak for herself, Anne said, I am entirely innocent of all these accusations, so I cannot ask pardon of God for them. I have been always a faithful and loyal wife to the king. I've not perhaps, at times, shown him that humility and reverence that his goodness to me and the honour to which he raised me did deserve. Personally, I don't think the king ever wanted to get rid of Anne. I think he was hurt and upset, but couldn't be seen to let his adulterous wife behave the way she was, so he sentenced her to death. While Anne awaited her execution in her chambers at the tower, she may well have heard the commotion outside as the five men she was accused of sleeping with, including her brother, were beheaded. Henry, as a final act of kindness, I suppose, had summoned an expert swordsman from France. The axe tended to need a few swings, but the swordsman was, well, an expert. The Queen of England was beheaded with one single clean strike of a French blade. Eleven days after Anne's execution, Henry married Jane Seymour. Anne was buried in the Chapel Royal of St. Peter ad Vincular, a parish church within the walls of the Tower of London, or at least most of her was buried there. If they did what they did with other traitors, they would have taken her head, boiled it, tarred it, and put it on a spike on London Bridge before throwing it into the swirling Thames. No one could have known at the time, obviously. But some say a new study has shown that Henry suffered from a rare blood disorder, which could have been a major contributing factor in his wife's miscarriages, meaning there was nothing his wives could have done. Jane did give birth to a son, but sadly he died six years into his reign. Many sightings of Anne Boleyn have been made at the Tower of London, which is understandable. This is where Anne spent the night before her coronation and was imprisoned and executed. So many emotions on both one of the happiest and one of the saddest days of her life. There was a well-known sighting in 1864 when a guard saw the former queen dressed in white. He rushed at her with his bayonet and toe thinking she was an intruder, but instead of running the intruder through, he ran straight through her. In another sighting, a guard noticed the lights flickering from the locked chapel royal. The guard took a ladder and climbed to one of the windows to get a better look at what might be making the lights flicker. It was an unbelievable sight he saw. A procession of 16th century dressed lords and ladies was taking place inside the chapel right in front of him. Who else would lead this procession but Queen Anne Boleyn? The guard only realised who she was after recognising her face in several portraits. It is even more intriguing that he saw several dozen spirits in the bizarre events besides Anne. But I will say, a few of the sightings I've read seem a little mad, even for ghost stories. One story goes that each year on the 19th of May, the anniversary of her execution, a carriage pulled by four headless horses is driven by a headless driver up to the entrance of Blickling Hall. With her decapitated head under her arm, Anne Boleyn steps outside of the carriage and roams her former home until sunset. 
despite the fact that this is one of the longest stories I have ever written for the show, I left so much out, so I know it's missing. And if you didn't know if it was missing, go read the stories on Henry VIII's wives. Times of kings and queens are just so frickin' sad. No wonder half the royal ghosts can't move on. What do you think of that story? That was great. I know it was really long, but I, just in case anyone thinks I am, I'm not trying to portray Anne Boleyn as this little lost lad. Like, she was a vigorous woman. My story wasn't supposed to be about that. It was just the circumstances that got her where it got her. To miss, his mistresses were all the lady weddings. But that's the same with a lot. Look, remember he didn't that? really tr- like. I suppose he didn't have this swipe left on his Tinder. <laughs> Imagine if there was. Um, just swiping all these what do you call them, carvings of or paintings of women, <laughs> just a pile of women and some. Just so, your courtiers some, bringing over yeah. portraits of women. Uh, no, don't like uh, it. Don't yeah, like yeah. It. But these were the women that were regularly in the vicinity. I suppose. I mean, it's not as if like he could go out and venture around the streets or anything like you. I mean, you've watched Aladdin. You know how it goes. Jasmine had to yeah, dress up. Pretend to not be Jasmine. Exactly. But, yeah, these... Like, even in the programme I was telling you about, called Rain, it was the Mary Tudor story. Mm. Not Mary Tudor, sorry. Mary Queen of Scots. They... I think he probably... I don't know if it was his wife's ladies-in-waiting or if it was... Sorry, it was his son's fiance's lady-in-waiting he ended up having an affair with. And it was just because these women are are so close quarters to him and it was it was thought of as normal and I'm doing quotation marks it's thought of as normal for kings to have mistresses so I don't think he ever wanted to get rid of Anne he was mad about Anne they spent seven years trying to carve their way into being able to be a couple and then they only lasted three years I know my story was really long but it was literally only three years and in that she she nearly produced an heir god love her um but she did produce what ended up being, and I'll probably cover their story as well. Their story is just madness. Sorry, uh, Queen Elizabeth I ended up being probably one of the most favourite queens of the time. And, and it went on for quite a while. But I, I, I didn't fall down a rabbit hole because I spent the, a whole month of Sundays doing this story. But the little rabbit hole I did fall down was there's only actually been eight royal members who've been beheaded. And she was the first. Transitor. Yeah, it's, I, I didn't realise that she was the first. I always thought that that was just the way that men got rid of their wives. Like back in the 1200s and it was it was the 1500s and I'm not saying it was like last week or something it's not recent but I just didn't realize that it wasn't pra- it wasn't common practice like the kings could get away with it they did have to you know somewhat answer to the church yeah. um because I don't think there was any separation of church and state until he made up his own church I suppose yeah that's kind of what happened isn't it? Mm. have you any characters for me uh, I've, I've one that springs to mind there for Anne Boleyn and it's got to be for me Helen Bowen Carter Oh, you've told me her before. Who's she in? She is in... She's Harry Potter. Oh, and I think I said Edward Scissorhands the other day, yeah. so I cut it out. It wasn't Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. It was uh, Sweeney... Sweeney Todd. That's the one. I was trying to think of that one, and I was like, it's the one where she makes a pies. There's knives involved in that one. Yeah, yeah. It's just but not she, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, no, but Edward... Is it Edward who plays? I said Edward Scissorhands because yeah. we were talking about Johnny Depp and her working together. Yeah, and but I is like, it Johnny oh, Depp and her in that one? In Sweeney Todd. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So Johnny See, Depp, even though this is how Johnny Depp, are. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Depp cuts the hair and then cuts the neck and then chucks the bodies down she and she minces them, them up yeah, and yeah, puts yeah. them in a pie. That's poison, London. This is how married we are. I said the wrong movie and you still knew who I was talking about. Ah, look. I was actually <laughs> trying to think of the name of that. I was like, that's the one where he kills all the people and she makes the pies. 
But you and Ari said Sweeney Todd before. <laughs> the crown doesn't go this far back, does it? Doesn't talk about Sweeney Todd. No, not Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I'd love to watch something that's like a series. Like I, I, I know I keep bringing it up, and I know I, I'll probably cover some other version of Mary. Like I know I was talking about doing a kind of more history-based um, part of like a subsection of the show. I will probably try and cover Mary Queen of Scots again because her story is just fascinating, but it's so freaking sad. But I would love to watch something that is like Rain. Um, now, they based took, on true, they took liberties. They took massive liberties with the story, but I would just love something like that. That's you know gripping, and I'm not saying that nothing is ever going to compare to Stranger yeah. Things, but that that that's cliffhanger stuff there. But that's the way I think you get young people nowadays to learn about history mm. is to just make quick 30, 35 minutes. Cause we are, we're, we live in, a, in, a, in an age now where it's like instant gratification. We want everything at the, at our fingertips. So if you can yeah. make something that's 30, 35 minutes long or a podcast, that, you know, is read by a sultry, sexy voice. That's, like <laughs> that's how you educate kids now on things in history because there's so much stuff and a lot of it I've learned from the likes of Bailey Serion. She's the one who does the makeup and murder and mystery Mondays. Um, she does this other thing called dark history and I've learned so much stuff. Like that's remember you walked in the other day and you, I, you um, I think I was listening to the Coca Cola episode. And I tried to give you a synopsis, but I'd have to listen to it three or four times before I could give you like a leaving cert wordy um, summary. But, synopsis is Yeah, but word. like her and um, Mr. Ballin, and they just do all of the true crime stories and, and, and weird history stories. And I love them. And I'm like, that's how you get people. You get people with quick TikTok videos and then they go and Google more stuff because they're like, oh, hang on, I didn't get enough out of that. That was really interesting. And then they go and Google it. So I am sorry if I went on and rambled a bit in this story. I just loved learning about it. And the amount of stuff I left out is is shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, but yeah, she had fabulous fashion sense, apparently. Normally when the ex-wife uh, dies, you wear black to show that you're in mourning. Yeah. No, no. She donned a yellow and brown guna that was absolutely fabulous. And it did not guna being, in, being Oh, sorry. Yeah, guna's the Irish for dress. Uh, but she wore a fabulous, I think it was yellow and brown, and it was adorned with this and that and the other. And I'm just kind of like, oh, that's the salt in the wound. And you think that now she's gone and people are going to recognise you. No, you're you're actually after making it so much worse. I love Catherine so much more for all the trying you're doing. You're doing it wrong. But yeah, I really enjoyed that story. That was a great story. It was, um, what was the act of supremacy? What does that mean? So the act of supremacy is what made Henry VIII the head of the English church. I could be explaining that wrong, but... Yeah, basically he made, he said, he said, I want to be able to divorce people whenever I want. I mean, Henry VIII wasn't exactly the full shilling after he had that fall off the horse. Mm-hmm. Again, me being a true crime aficionado, I could name five serial killers who are well known. And every single one of them at some stage during their adolescence, like when they were really, really, really small, had a fall or a bang on the head. It's mad. Everybody's had a fall and a bang on their head. No, but these are significant enough that it was like a concussion when you're five. Oh, okay. Damage to your frontal lobe where your decision making and your your moral compass lies. You get a bang on that, you're going to lose your moral compass. It's going to be swinging all over the shop. Have you any questions for me? No, you just answered them. No? Okay, cool. 
we finish up there? Say our words. Okay. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions regarding today's or any other episode, please feel free to DM us on our Instagram. It's what's the story ghost. Our email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. If you have any uh, stories of your own you would like to share, I will include the links on the description of the episode. And those are all my words. Exit jingle. Exit jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Are you singing the hills are alive? Bye. Bye.